0: Good morning, how are you guys? All right, that's all right. Yeah, I had some hope for 1130. I know it's Memorial Day weekend. I know you're here. You made it this far. So I'm glad that you're even here today. Man, it's so good to see you guys. Even if you're not awake yet, somehow at 1130, I still love you, and um, I'm excited. So hey, before we jump into anything, I want to tell you guys about something coming up this Thursday night. This Thursday night, 7 p.m. here at our uh, building here, we're having our next night of prayer and worship, and uh, just to remind you, we do these on the first Thursday of every month, all right? Uh, And so what this is, is it's a time we'll spend about hour to an hour and a half together, uh, just just crying out to the Lord together as a church family, and so we'll pray for stuff corporately, we'll pray for you individually, so uh, we just want you to come out to this if you're available on Thursday night, and, and come and just, let's just let God work in our lives together, so uh, don't forget about that. We'll go ahead and jump in, if you guys have your Bibles with you, go ahead and take them out to Exodus chapter 20 together, Exodus chapter 20. <coughs> As you guys are turning, I want to ask a simple question as we get started. Uh, who in the room, and you can do this by sh- just raising your hand and keep it there for a minute. Uh, who in the room has ever told a lie before? Okay, if you don't have your hand up, go ahead and put it up because you're lying to me right now. So, yeah, every, every single one of us is, is guilty of this. Every single one of us has told a lie at some point. I'm, I'm convinced of this. I bet a lot of you told a lie this past week. I bet a lot of you probably told a lie on the way in here this morning. You could make it six hours into the day without lying about something. And, and this is a big deal in God's words. It's why it's in the Ten Commandments. And that's what we're going to spend time talking about this morning in the Ninth Commandment is the issue of lying. Now, as we get in and talk about this, there's going to be a couple of different groups of people. The first one is this. Some of you guys know lying all too well. And, and I don't mean that you lie personally. I mean that people have lied about you and it's done something terrible in your life. Some of you have experienced the devastating effects of someone telling, telling a, a lie about you or about your family or about something you uh, supposedly did, and, and it's wrecked you personally. You've had family members that, that have, have kind of turned away from you. You've had spouses leave you. You've lost a job. Something has happened because someone told a lie about you. And while I, I know that there's a category of those people in the room who've experienced these big effects that have come from lying, I know all too well that there's a different category of us in the room that as we talk about this, you're really not going to feel weight behind it at first. You're going to see lying as as insignificant little stories, something that uh, white lies, they don't really bother anybody, they don't do anything. You just don't feel weight behind why this is even in the Ten Commandments. You may think, you know, if there's ten commandments, why in the world would God waste time on the ninth being lying? Surely it's not that bad. Surely not that much bad is produced from us lying. And so uh, there, there's this kind of two camps of people. Now, if you're that person that falls in line with uh, not seeing lying as a very significant thing, I want to take you to something, I'll give you a story from a couple of weeks ago that I think will uh, kind of paint this picture of why lying is significant, why we should care about it. All right, it's not a story of me lying personally, but this is something that happened that I think will help us grasp it. So just a few weeks ago, we're hanging out with some friends. Now, the thing to know, my wife and I, we don't have children yet, uh, but we're in a stage of life where nearly all of our friends have kids, young kids, Um, and either they're pregnant right now, about to have kids, or they already have young kids, and so uh, this this does something fun for me at this point in my life. Right now, I get to be that guy that gets to teach kids things that I would never teach my own kids. (laughs) I get to teach them all sorts of fun tricks, some fun things, things I'll never introduce to my own children, but I will try them out on your children if they're around. I'll tell them all kinds of crazy stuff to do, um, and I'll just sit back and enjoy the consequences because what I know is those kids go home with them, not me, and so I don't have to worry about it. And so uh, I kind of take that role. I'm kind of like the crazy old uncle, the one that comes around your kids, and you never quite, they love it because they they know they're always going to learn something just crazy, but you hate it because you know they're going to learn something crazy and they're bringing that home. So, so that's kind of my role right now when I, when I get around kids. So now, uh, a few weeks ago we're hanging out with these friends, their daughter's three, and, and something possessed me in the moment to think, you know what, I'm going to teach this girl how to give wedgies to everyone. All right. Now, here's the deal. Some of you don't know that what that is. And here's the deal. You can ask your neighbor, and they will be more than happy to demonstrate on the way out the door today. So if you don't know what those are, tell someone so they can help you. All right, but anyway, so, so I wanted to introduce this to this girl. I'm thinking, man, she is going, this is going to be hilarious. She's going to be giving wedges to everybody. It's going to be an awesome time. It's going to be a great thing. So I start to do it, and I start to teach her this. And I, for me, I think this is a skill that every young child needs to know. And so I'm introducing it at an early age so she can be well-rounded at it when she's older. And mom and dad, the mom and dad of this girl, come back into the room and they say, hey, you need to put the brakes on that right now. You need to stop doing that. And I'm like, what's, what's the matter? I'm like, this is great. She's going to love it. It's going to be fun hilarious and all this stuff. She said, yeah, you know, it's going to be fun and hilarious right now. But it's not going to be so funny and hilarious when we go to the grocery store this next week and she runs across the aisle and gives a wedgie to a random stranger that's, that, that's shopping. It's not going to be so funny then. Or it's not going to be so funny when she's hanging out with all of her young friends, their three-year-old friends, and, and they're all having a good time, and then this girl just goes nuts and starts pulling wedgies on everybody. It won't be funny then. And I said, okay, I, c- I can get that. And, it, and, and the reason this was such a big deal, the reason why I think that this is parallels with what I'm trying to say is because of this. I'm teaching her something that for me is insignificant. I think it's hilarious. I think it's great. I don't think it causes any harm. It's a great thing. For her, it does a few different things that I wasn't thinking of. For one, it's going to misrepresent her parents to everyone else. She's going to be the girl running into the store, giving a stranger a wedgie, and they're going to say, what is wrong with your parents? Why do you know this? And then mom and dad will say, well, that's not a reflection of, of, of us. That's a reflection of him. And they'll point to me. Who wouldn't be there, so they'll have a hard time fending that one off. Second thing it does is this, is she's going to harm other people. She may not not physically harm the adults, she may not even physically harm the other kids, but that's going to be teaching something that, that doesn't need to be taught in a harmful way to other people. And the third thing that'll really kind of result from that is that as she's continually doing this, as she's as she's doing these things and she's misrepresenting mom and dad, she's misrepresenting, uh, kind of going in and, and harming other people. What's going to happen is she's going to experience consequences of this. She's going to get in trouble for mom and dad for something she didn't really even know was wrong. Right? I taught it to her. She thought it was great fun, and she's going to experience punishment over something that I taught her. And I think the same thing comes with lying. If you're that person that feels lying is uh, somewhat insignificant or you don't feel the weight behind it, the reason why I say it's that same way is because those same truths are the same with lying. Some of you don't feel uh, that it's harmful, some of you don't feel that it's bad. but I want to convince you this morning that God's word says otherwise, and that lying to God is a very big deal. God is serious about it, and God hates lies. So with your Bibles open, let's go to Exodus chapter 20 together, and, and we're going to read this text. It' so going to be Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. "You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor." You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, I want to give you some historical context of why this passage is phrased in this particular way and why this is a really big deal to the people who are hearing this. When you read this text that you should not bear false witness, it takes it into the time of really what this means is in the kind of the context of a legal trial. Somebody's being put on the stand for something legally, and it's talking to the person who's going to testify or the witness of the crime, And it's saying we shouldn't bear false witness against our neighbor. Now, this was such a big deal because in this time when you were accused of something, it had to be um, kind of of told by two or three witnesses. The stories had to be corroborated by two or three witnesses. And uh, this is the days before forensic evidence, before uh, cameras, before all this other stuff that we have today. And so the testimony of the witness meant everything to the outcome of the trial. If you had two or three people that conspired against you, and they convicted you of the wrong thing, you could ultimately be put to death. And so this this passage is is talking in such a way where someone's life could literally be at stake. If if, if enough people are telling, uh, bearing false witness about you, you could have been put to death. And so this was a really big deal. Someone's reputation was going to get ruined, or someone could potentially lose their life as we bear false witness against them. Now, this same thing happens today. You or I may get called in if we witness a crime. We may get called to the court, and we have to testify against that. I had that happen to me just a few uh, months ago, and I had to testify, and it was important for me to remember this because I needed to bear true witness and not false witness so someone didn't get punished unjustly. And we hear stories all the time. People uh, put to death wrongly, shouldn't be put to death. People jailed wrongly for something they didn't do, all because a witness stood before a jury and told and bore false witness. And so this is a really, uh, really big deal in this culture. But while, while this is important for that, one of the things to remember about the Ten Commandments is what you're seeing here is one of the most extreme forms of any sin. And in the Ten Commandments, you're seeing the extreme of something which has other things wrapped up under it. So there's other things that are wrapped up under this command to not bear false witness that extend past uh, legal trials. And I want to give us a few of those things today. So I'm putting together a list of three ways that, that you and I get caught in lying today. Here's the first one. Gossip and slander. Gossip and slander. You and I bear false witness about our neighbors when we fall into the trap of gossip and slander. Here's something I know. Gossip and slander is one of those things that I think we've almost forgotten at times that God has anything to say about it. Gossip and slander is one of those things where we seek harm against someone else by telling false, half-truths, false lies about them. We want to rip their character, we want to rip their reputation down, and so we'll tell uh, gossip to someone about someone else. And this is interesting. As I was thinking about this this past week, I think oftentimes when we think about gossip and slander, when we think about bearing false witness, we think that most of this stuff goes for people who are outside the church. Yeah, gossip's a big deal for uh, non-Christians, for people that aren't followers of Jesus. Yeah, they all gossip all the time, but here's what I know. Gossip and slander is just a big of a deal inside of the church. Among Christians, you and I, if we're not careful, we'll fall into this trap extremely easily. If you go to your small group and and there's something going on and it's good and juicy information to talk about or somebody uh, made you angry and so what you do is you then go off to other people in your group and you'll gossip about them. Or we're guilty of this one at times too. We'll see someone walk in uh, the church on a Sunday morning and, and we'll know, have some sort of history with them outside of the church. And we can look at someone and say, how dare they come into church? I know how they live the rest of the week. What are they even doing in here? Or we can oftentimes gossip or slander about a pastor or a staff member on our church staff. If they do something the way that we don't like it, if we, uh, they, they've, they've made a decision that we don't appreciate and enjoy... Instead of supporting them and submitting to them biblically, we'll, we'll go and we'll gossip and slander about them personally. And so this is a big deal. It's a big deal. Gossip at its core is simply this. It's, it's talking about someone in such a way to destroy their character and reputation. We want to destroy someone's character and their reputation. And I want to give us three questions I think we can ask. If we're ever tempted to fall into gossip and slander, here's three questions to ask yourself to gauge whether it is. The first one is this. Is what I'm about to say a true repus- representation of this person? Does what I'm about to say about this person uh, kind of characterize them as their, and their whole reputation? Does it tell the full story or am I taking a little snippet and telling them about this? The second thing that we can ask ourselves is this. Does what I'm about to say even need to be said to begin with? What is gained by me saying what I'm going to say? Is this for my own self-serving pleasure and to rip this person down? Or is this for the glory of God? And I think we'll know the answer pretty easily. And this one's uh, the easiest one, I think, to kind of heart check us. Would I say what I'm about to say if that person is standing right here in front of us face to face? Would I say what I'm going to say if they're standing across the room and that's the way I'm going to say it to their face? We probably would stop. Here's what I know that we're good at as Christians at times. We're good at this phrase right here, to justify our gossip. We'll say this phrase. What I'm about to say is not gossip, but... And then we gossip about them, right? We, we think because we say, I'm about to say this, and it, I, I promise you, I don't mean it, and we'll try hard, man. I promise you, I don't mean it uh, to gossip at all. I, I don't. But here's what they did to me. Here's who they are. Here's the, the person they are. I, I'm not trying to gossip. I'm just telling the truth. We'll tell it to our friends because our friends are those people that, that help us. They walk us through problems, right? That's how we'll justify it, all the while not realizing when we do that, we're, we're sinning personally, and we're causing the person we're talking to to sin as well. The next way that we lie today is through half truths. Half truths. What I mean by this is, this, is uh, this one's tricky because this is telling something that has some truth involved while leaving out other important pieces of information or bringing in false pieces of information about something or someone. All right, we're really good at this. We kind of take some truth, take a story, and we sprinkle some truth in the top of it, and we think that it's true, and, and we tell these things in order to bring someone down or in order to make ourselves look better. And we, instead of telling the full truth and being a true witness, we bear false truth by not presenting the whole truth. Does that make sense? If you leave out any, you're telling a lie. And so we're accused of half-truths. Uh, one way that this has happened uh, personally, to, to me, I, I've done this over the past month. All right, so our, our worship pastor, Kyle, who's up here. You guys saw him this morning, a blonde-haired guy. Kyle joined our team about a year ago, well, over a year ago, but he, he became our worship pastor about a year ago. And I, I get this question a lot about Kyle, all the time, actually, all the time. That guy, Kyle, uh, that guy up there, your worship pastor, you know, the one from Australia. What's his name? So people don't know his name. So they'll describe him as the guy from Australia. What is his name? Or they'll say, "Man, it is incredible that that guy up there singing. He has, he, he's from Australia and he has no accent at all. He sounds just like an American when he's up there singing." I said, so that's pretty incredible that he did it. and I'm like, oh, I know. Now, here's the deal. This is why it's a half-truth. I never correct them. I let it go because I've known Kyle for a long time, and I love it. I think it's hilarious, and so I don't correct them. Now, here's why I think this happens, here's why, and this is why it's a half-truth. Here's why I think it happens. One, uh, when, when Kyle took over as our worship pastor, he stood up here, and James said, hey, guys, this is Kyle, our new worship pastor. We stole him from Australia, which was true. The second reason why, if you take a look at him for more than two seconds, you feel like he's probably from Australia, probably from somewhere different. He fits the piece, all right? He looks, he looks like he would be someone from that culture and context. Now, here's why I say this is a half truth. Kyle is not from Australia. Kyle is from Douglasville. <laughs> you do with that what you want. You're probably in shock and awe if you believed it, but he is not from Australia. He's from Douglasville of all places. Incredible. He's probably more redneck than most of us <laughs> in the room. Now, Here's why this is a half truth. Because what James said about Kyle was that we pulled Kyle from Australia is true. Kyle moved to Cartersville from Australia to take this position because he was at college in Australia. Kyle moved from Douglasville to Australia, not from Australia to here, right? So, so he is from here. And it's a half-truth because when I don't represent the whole truth, this is a silly example, but when I don't represent the whole truth, I'm telling half of it, and I'm letting people believe something false about him. We fall into that trap all the time as people. We leave out details that we don't want in, or we add some details that maybe aren't truth, or all the while not realizing that it's sin. the third way that we lie today is through embellishment. Embellishing stories. And you know what this is. This is us taking something that's true And we don't necessarily bring in false things with it. We just exaggerate the truth that's already there. We make it into this big deal, something we take, we kind of stretch the truth without actually bringing anything false in. So we feel like it's okay. Okay. Because I'm not actually bringing in a lie, I'm just kind of stretching it a little bit. This happened to me a few weeks ago. I'm leaving my dirty laundry out here for you all so you can shake your fingers at me on the way out. Uh, Just a couple of weeks ago, I was out, um, I I go out frequently to hunt uh, wild hogs or wild pigs, whatever you want to call it. So I I go out frequently and I go on hunting trips. Um, And so guys that I know that that are into hunting, that's kind of their deal. We talk about this stuff a lot. And so I was out one night, one Friday night with a couple of friends and, and we're out hog hunting and we shot we came home with two pigs. One of them was huge, the other one wasn't so big, and, and so we didn't have a way to really take a good picture, and so we laid the big one down, and then we took the little one and we stacked him on top. And then all three of us gathered behind him to take a picture of behind them to take a picture with it All right. So I'm doing this and and then all of my friends start talking, man. Man, that was a huge pig, you guys. Man, that is awesome. How big was that thing? I'm like, dude, you wouldn't believe it. It was a 260-pound boar. You should have seen his tusk. Man, that thing was awesome. We brought home a 260-pound boar. What I failed to mention was we didn't bring home anything. One of the other guys brought home a 260-pound boar. What I didn't tell him was I shot the 70-pounder that's stacked on top. That was my credit right there. But instead of me confessing that, instead of me bringing the truth, I embellished what was partially true because we did all go hunt together. We did all stand beside the guy that shot the pig. I was there. I was a part of it. I actually helped load the thing into the truck. I have a picture with it. And so it would be easy for me to paint this idea that I shot this thing. Look at how awesome he is. And impress everyone. And why do we do things like that? Our pride's at stake. All the men in the room, you were all like, like Division I athletes when you were in high school, right? And then that darn knee injury sprung up and sidelined you for the rest of your life. And you just never gotten back to your normal state of just being this physical specimen. Right? We all embellish what we truly were when people can't find the truth. And the, the pig hunting story, that's a little silly, but, but it's a way for me to serve my pride. Instead of bringing the truth and saying, no, no, we didn't bring anything, I was a part of it, here was my role. We kind of lean into somebody that this kind of false idea all because our pride is at stake, all because we want to be someone that we're not, or we want to do something that we haven't done, and we're bearing false witness as we go about this. Now, the thing I think that we should ask is, is why lying is wrong to begin with. When we talk about any of this stuff, we should ask why lying is a big deal. Why did it make it into the Ten Commandments? What, what actually is produced by this? And, and one of the things that we know, I, we just really just covered, was when you and I lie, most of the time we're doing it to hurt or harm other people. Oftentimes when we lie, we're doing it at the detriment or the expense of someone else. But I think there's a couple of other big ways, big things, big reasons what, that come from us lying, that result from our lying, that I don't think we think of all the time. And here, here's the first one. When you and I lie, we exalt ourselves. When you and I lie, we exalt ourselves. Oftentimes when we lie, we're not doing it just to hurt someone else, although that may be true. Oftentimes when we lie, and it's this way with embellishing, we're doing it so that people will think more of us than we actually are. We say things, we do things to make ourselves look better because we're not uh, maybe too proud of the person that we are. And so we want to paint this picture, we want to paint this facade of being someone that we're truly not. And we don't realize that by doing that, we're violating the Ninth commandments to our own detriment. Here's why this is a big deal for Christians. It's a big deal to Christians because for the Christian, our message is that we don't want more of ourselves. The last thing you need, the last thing I need is more of me. I'm self-centered enough, I'm, I'm prideful enough, I'm arrogant enough on my own. The last thing that needs to happen is for me to become more prideful and more arrogant. The last thing that needs to happen is for you to become more prideful and more arrogant. We don't need more of us. We need more of God. Right? John the Baptist said this best, that he needs to increase, speaking of the Lord, and I need to decrease. But we play games with that. We want to exalt ourselves. We violate the ninth commandment all the time because we think, man, I want to be somebody. I'm not I want to do something. I'm not I want people to see me in a certain way, and we want to exalt ourselves at the expense of the truth. Because the good news is for you and I, we we just need to get rid of ourselves. The good news for us is not that God tells us, you need to be righteous and then I'll let you into my kingdom. The good news is that God says, I'm coming for the unrighteous and I'm going to make you righteous by the grace of my son, Jesus. I'll give you his righteousness and that's all you need. You don't need to be a better person than you are. You don't have to uh, be this morally outstanding person because he knows when he makes us righteous, he's going to change our lives. He doesn't ask us to pick ourselves up, clean ourselves up, make ourselves better. He's interested in giving us a new heart, which he knows is going to change our lives. So for you and I, we don't need to exalt ourselves. We need to be set free from our sin and ourselves. We need to lower ourselves, humble ourselves before God so that one day he would exalt us. And so when you and I violate the ninth commandment, oftentimes we're doing it so that we can be seen, have a reputation, be a person that we're not actually being. The next way... The next thing that kind of comes from lies is that when you and I lie, we misrepresent God. When you and I lie, we misrepresent God. I want you to hear this. This is super important for us to walk away understanding. It's one that I don't think we think about very often. There's, There's kind of three ways that we misrepresent God by our lying. The first one is this, is that when we bear false witness, we are bearing false witness to the image of God. When we bear false witness, we're bearing false witness to the image of God. Here's what I mean by that. You and I were created in the very image of God. The book of Genesis tells us that. when God created us, there's something special and unique about you and I that's different from the rest of creation. We are these image bearers. So what that means is when he created you, he has designed you to reflect and be an image of his glory to the world. And so lost people, people apart from Christ, ought to be able to look at Christians and say, man, there's something about them. Oh, that, maybe that's the image of God. It's pointing them to God, away from, them, away from us and to God. So we're supposed to be image bearers of him. Now, do you remember in the story of the Bible where the first lie came from? The first lie came in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve were in the garden. God had set them apart and he told them what not to do. He had given them everything they needed and he set apart one thing for them. Now, what happens? Genesis chapter 3 comes around and, and Satan comes into the garden. And what does the Bible says happen? It says he deceived them. They took the fruit and they ate of it. And from that moment, corruption has came. From that moment, sin has been uh, passed down to us. Every single one of us is born into sin and we sin by choice. So instead of being image bearers of God, Adam and Eve were image bearers of the enemy. Instead of bearing true image of God and his goodness and what he had told them, they bore false witness to the image of God by reflecting the image of the enemy. And so for you and I, it's important that we don't bear a false image of God with our lives. Here's something that's interesting to see when we read about Satan. Jesus said this of, uh, of Satan in, in John 8, 44. Jesus called him the liar and the father of lies. So I want you to think about this. When, you, when we talk about the ninth commandment, who are you representing? Are, are you an image bearer of, of lies, which ultimately represents evil, or... Are we like Jesus? Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. John chapter 1. The Bible tells us that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. Later in the book of John, Jesus says about himself, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And hear this. Isaiah 53. Many, many years before Jesus came bodily to this earth... It was prophesied about this king, the savior king that was going to come. And one of the things that was prophesied about him is that he was going to be marked by having a man with no deceit in his mouth. I mean, this, this, is, this guy is going to embody truth that this savior, your king, your, your God coming in the flesh, he is going to embody truth to you. And so when we think about our savior, we want to bear his image and that is the image of truth. We want to be people marked by that. We don't want to bear the wrong image. We want to bear the right image, and lying distorts that image. The next thing, the next way we misrepresent God is we bear false witness to the Word of God. So the first one is the image of God. The second is the Word of God. Here's what I mean by this. Do you teach the Bible to anyone? Do you teach the Bible to anyone? It is imperative for us, whether you lead a small group, a Bible study, or whether you give resources to your friends, it is imperative that we get that right. It's imperative that we don't pass along false teaching thereby distorting the image of God through the word of God. Does that make sense? So we don't want to teach false things about God. We need to represent God rightly and we fall into this trap all the time. We fall into this trap all the time. We'll speak about things that we don't know. Instead of just saying, I don't know, let's find out, we'll speak too quickly and we'll, we'll, we'll lie and we'll misrepresent God by bearing false witness to his word. Another way we do this that's popular right now I hope you feel the weight of this. Right now, our culture would like us to distort our message to make it more palpable in some ways or another. Can I give you some help? The gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive. That's why Jesus said we were going to be persecuted if we hold fast to it, because it's going to be offensive. And so at the expense of of the offensiveness, we'll distort the word of God to make it more palpable for the culture. Now here's the good news, God doesn't need you to clean him up and to make his message more relevant for today. God doesn't need you to make his words say something that it doesn't. God doesn't need you to save face for him. He, he's, he's not on a PR spree that he needs his people to go out and, and make him shiny and clean in this westernized version of what we uh, can t- try to make him at times. He needs us to bear his word truthfully. And when we bear it falsely, we're bearing false witness to God himself to other people. And so do you know the truth of his word? That should make us hungry. We should be people that want to know the truth of God's word. We should seek after that and be hungry for it. The last thing that we do to misrepresent God is that we bear false witness to the work of God. We bear false witness to the work of God. First one was image. Second is word. The third is work of God. Here's what I mean by that. It is easy for us in the South... To paint an image of ourselves that's not actually true. We are the best at making ourselves look and sound more righteous than we actually are. When we get in front of people, we can kind of uh, paint this picture of this uh, typical Christian that we think we should be, and we, we try to paint this picture, and all the while, we're so different everywhere else. I was this way growing up. We went to church consistently, and, and what we would do is we would fight the entire way in. right? would put people in headlocks, man. Me and my brother are about to kill each other. My parents are freaking out. But just in time to pull into the church parking lot, something switches, and we walk in like the perfect model Christian family, right? And we sit in church, and we do what we're supposed to do and we show up, because that's the right thing to do, right? You're supposed to go to church. Good people go to church, right? So, so we want to be good people, so we go. Have was a lie we believed. And then we get out. We get back in the car just in time for me to put my brother in another headlock, or maybe him to me. And we're back to what we were doing before. The Pharisees were good at this too, right? They didn't actually have their heart changed by God. They were just really good at cleaning themselves up. I think some of us are guilty of that. Some of us, we, 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 are, we know our brokenness. And some of us, we're not near aware enough of it. Here's the good news for us. God does not ask you to come and make yourself righteous. He says, I'm going to do it for you. He doesn't say you need to clean yourself up. You need to, he doesn't say you need to play this part so you can fit in in church. What he's saying is, I'm gonna come and save you and give you a new heart and make you a new person. And so when we lie about the work he's done in our lives, we misrepresent God by misrepresenting the work he's done in us. And it's, it's a terrible game to play. It's a terrible, what, what worse hobby is there than to play like a Christian? There's not many, right? It's terrible. Why would we want to fake the work of God when we can have the work of God in our lives? So we need to lay ourselves down to Him. So, what do we do do with this? I want to give you three simple things you can take away from this message that you can do in your life right now and and start to implement. The first thing is this As, as Christians, we need to be people that love the truth. We need to be people that love the truth. Do you love truth? I hear all the time, I work with a lot of young people, and right now, in in younger culture, it's it's, uh, a lot of this going on of, man, God can be whatever you want him to be, God can be this, he can be the tree, he can be that, he can be a he, he can be a she. And all the while, we never consult God about what he says about himself. It's so popular right now, especially in younger culture, but older folks are guilty of it just the same. And instead of loving truth, we love what we want the truth to be. So we don't seek truth, We make it up as we go, because culture says truth evolves, right, or or truth is relative. It's relative to you, it's relative to me. The good news is God does not leave us to our own devices to figure that out. God plainly tells us, and we just need to go see what he said of himself. We need to love the truth. For some of us, loving the truth means we need to find him in his word. We need to see what he said about himself. For some of us, we're Christians. We believe what God said. We're just lying with our lives, you're lying to your spouse, you're lying to your kids, you're lying to your boss. And so for some of us to love the truth, what that's going to mean is you need to come clean of some things. You need to come out from hiding and be a person who loves truth. The, the next thing that we can do is this, we, we need to learn how to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. That's from Ephesians 4.15. Here's what I know. Often, most of us, some of us, and I'm one of these, have no problem at all with loving the truth. Man, we love truth, we know truth, we want to say truth, we want to tell everybody. But we don't speak the truth in love. And so if you're not careful, you can take the truth and you can run people over with it. To illustrate, and I may step on some toes, and I apologize if I do, but let's look no farther than the Target bathroom situation. Christians yelling to the culture as loud as we can, And getting angry because people are not acting like Christians. I get the concern behind it. And it's not that Christians have the wrong idea of the situation. Here's the thing. We just find the most unhelpful ways possible to talk about it. And so instead of engaging someone across the table, instead of saying, hey, you're a human being, just like I'm a human being, let's engage and I'll try to present the truth to you, we find whatever platform, oftentimes a keyboard, to hide behind and yell as loud as we can. So we don't have a problem with speaking the truth. We just do it in the way that no one wants to listen. So oftentimes people don't hate the message. They hate us. So we need to speak the truth in love. Do you know how to do that? Are you gentle? Are you Jesus? Are you full of grace and truth? Because you realize he didn't sacrifice one at the expense of another. He didn't enter in with someone graciously and leave the truth at home. He brought both of them And he changed the world. So do you speak the truth in love? You name whatever it is, can you wrap the truth in grace and present it to someone else? The last thing is this. Some of us need to stop lying to God. This is for Christians and non-Christians alike. We need to stop lying to God. There's a story in the book of Acts chapter 5, and I want to read it. I'll put it on the screen. And this is a story in the early church of, of a couple who was lying to God. Let's read this together. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, hear this, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose up, carried him out, and buried him. That's a sobering story. (laughs) We won't pass the offering plates again, don't worry. What this story is telling us is that you had a man and his wife who, while the rest of the church is is experiencing this incredible growth, the gospel is so real to them, they are seeing Jesus, I mean, they see Jesus for who he is, he's just resurrected, and they're, they're so passionate about the mission of God, they're willing to sell anything they need to sell so that everyone's needs were met. And you have a couple who caught up in that, comes to the church, sells their land, brings part of the money. And lays it down. The interesting part is after what we just read, the wife comes in and she apparently doesn't know what happened. And so they asked her, hey, what, tell us about this land and money. And she lies as well. And she also falls down dead. And they carried her out with her husband. This is such a big deal because if you saw the words in there, Peter said that Satan had filled their hearts with deceit. They were not lying to men, they were lying to God They were being someone they weren't. And I can only imagine the different reasons why they would have wanted to do this. But can you think of them? Yeah, church, man, we sold all this land that we had because we're given to, uh, you know, brother and sister so-and-so who don't have any money. And so, man, we're, you know, we sold all of our land to do this, man. Oh, we love the Lord. All the while, they know they're lying. And they're not lying just to the people. They're lying to God himself. So some of us need to not do that. We need to stop lying to God about whatever it is. It's a silly game to play to think that we can lie to God, the all knowing, all present God, and we think we can pull one over on him. And so, where's your life filled with deceit right now? Where do you need to lay that down? Because here's the good news God hates lying, but he absolutely loves liars. And he loves to save liars. And he loves when liars come to his feet and they lay their lives down and he changes them and makes them a new person. He hates lies. And if that's you, he loves you. He wants to make you new through the cross of his son Jesus. Not because you're awesome, not because you deserve it, not because you're someone that you're not. He wants you in your brokenness. He wants you at your worst. The Bible tells us at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And it was at our worst. And so some of us need to remember that and stop lying to God. Others of us, we need to stop lying to God by lying to our other family members as well. You may have lies you're telling right now that you need to come clean from. The good news about this, you don't, this is, you don't have to take out a 20-year plan to get this fixed. You can lay it down today. He wants to make this right today. You don't have to walk out of the door hiding anymore. It's exhausting to lie It's exhausting to hide things from people. You don't have to walk down that road. You can be set free right now. So I'm going to invite our prayer team to go ahead and come forward. And as they're coming down, I'm just going to prepare you. Kyle and the band are going to come sing a song. And it's a song uh, that really just cries out that we want to be made like the Lord. We want to be like God. If he's truth, man, we want to be truth. If he's holy, we want to be holy. We want to be set apart like our God is set apart. And so some of us, as we're singing this song, some of you need to come maybe for the first time, and say, so I've been lying to God. I'm not a Christian, but I want to know what that means. These people down front would be more than happy to tell you what that means. Some others of us, you're lying to a spouse and they're sitting right beside you. What better time to make that right than right now? Or if you're lying in other areas, I mean, just come confess it to one of, our, one of our team members up here, one of our pastors and directors. They'd love to help you with this. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you for your work. God, we want to be true image bearers of you in the world. God, we want to reflect you truthfully. And God, we just pray that you would break our heart over our sin. The sin that exists in our lives right now, God, would you just rip that out of us and make us new people? God, we need you desperately. Would you come and do a work in our hearts that only you can do? We love you, God, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we come. Amen.